Well, this is Burn the Ship Podcast. Really, our goal here is to find out kind of what you're selling, what your product is, what it is that that problem you solve, but really just kind of learn from you as an entrepreneur. So we've got Glenn here today. Uh, I'll let you kind of introduce yourself shortly, but I'm excited to be here. Um, someone that values relationships is really the, the type of people that we want to do business with. Our sure. entire business has been built off of relationships and good faith that other business people have kind of bestowed on us because we do what we say we're going to do. You know, and not just we provide the service the way that we're going to provide the service, but we connect people. We are people people, you know, like sure. we, we value those interactions. So I'm excited to learn a little bit from you about yeah, looking forward you to know, what that looks like over, over a longer time because I've only been in this business for five years, you know, and obviously – the the last year and a half has just been so tumultuous about you know what, what direction do you want to take your your business in in the first place and a lot of people don't know that but you've kind of you know you've kind of ridden all those waves so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself introduce your business sure I'm Glenn Gould uh, my wife and I and our two sons own a company called Dry Cleaning Connection we're a boutique pickup and delivery service for dry cleaning laundry alterations linens things like that in the uh, Southern Crescent is what they call it in South Atlanta from Serenby, which is a uh, unique little community near the airport, all the way down south to Sonoy, where they filmed The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's pretty cool. So you guys, and you've been, in, you said you've been owning your own um, dry cleaning business ten years, right? Right. This this particular business uh, we started it in um, ten years, uh, almost eleven years ago now. Yeah, sure. Two thousand ten was when we started it. Tell me the story of you getting into kind of your first business. How, how did you get introduced kind of pre-chamber, um, pre-all of that? What, what was your first introduction to that business? Well, my, my dad was a traveling salesman, and so we kind of grew up entrepreneurial. I I was probably nine years old, and in our apartment complex, my dad was a manager of a department store across the street from our apartment complex. And most of the kids weren't allowed to cross that street, but I was. And so I would go over there and I'd buy candy and then I'd come back over to the apartments and I would sell it to to the uh, kids for, for uh, profit. So I, I've kind of been in business all my life, but my first real business, if you will, um, my brother and I were uh, golf professionals mm. and running golf shops. And uh, we owned, at one point we owned a uh, consignment shop that sold um, out-of-date garments and clubs and things like that for golf professionals so they wouldn't have to put them all on sale and teach their members that every fall everything goes on sale right so they they would ship it to us we would sell it in a consignment store and uh so that was our first kind of foray into business outside of having some sort of tie to working was for that somebody successful? else it was we it was here in it was here in atlanta and did you know about that business model just because you'd been around the golf industry long enough to know that people are kind of hiding the the older items through these consignment businesses like that? Or? No, actually, um, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in, uh, in having an R and D department. And what I mean by that is rob and duplicate. And so <laughs> I was a sales rep in, in, uh, in Dallas, Texas for a company called Slazenger. And there was a guy out there who had started it and nobody else was doing it that we knew of. Um, it had started a consignment shop. He had been a golf pro and he just started a consignment shop. And so I called my brother and he had been thinking about how we could, take advantage of dead merchandise and golf shops. And um, he had kind of been on the same thought process. And when I introduced the idea to him, we just started it. Wow. Yeah. So Robin duplicate works. So. Yeah, absolutely. Every time. <laughs> cool. So you get into that business. How long do you do that for? Well, we had that one for about four years. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm getting older. I just turned 60 this week, this past weekend. And so, Happy late birthday, Mike. Well, friend. thank you. Appreciate that. I, you know, I, I really don't remember how we got out of that business, but I think <laughs> – 
the way we ended up out of that business. I think I think we ended up um, passing it on to our to our partner who was also the the one who ran it for us. Sure, yeah. Are you a big golfer. Uh, I used to be. I uh, you know I'm not anymore. I haven't played in six years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's life gets a, in the way. There's a good example of it. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely does. Golf is one of those things also that you definitely lose your uh, you lose your touch. You know, and it's a frustrating thing. Like I, I was in, I went to school at UGA and played basketball, and just went up there and walked on. You know, and was up there, and I got hurt. Like my going out, ending my first season, I got hurt like pretty bad. And um, yeah, it was unfortunate. But I had to like reteach myself to walk. Like I had me walking backwards on a treadmill and wow. stuff like that. So yeah, I had to. Um, really relearn that and really my invitation into this into business in general um was because like i always told myself i was going to business school or i would go to law school or something like that. school's never been hard for me i don't mind doing the work and i don't i enjoy the learning so i came home started working for a couple of companies here when really like the the thing that was motivating me was how foreign it felt to play basketball like I hadn't played basketball in so long that it felt foreign to have a ball in my yeah. hand and to like shoot a basketball didn't feel natural to me anymore. So I was like, I didn't know if I was ever going to get that back because I didn't have mobility the way that, that I had originally when I was in college. So I really like one of the, the big motivating things for me early on, especially in the merchant services world, you know, in other aspects of my life as well, but definitely in this business specifically was I have to have something that feels more natural again, you know, and sales was that sales is absolutely that too. If you go a year or two or three or five without pitching foreign to, yeah. to sales again. So that's very interesting. That's very interesting. So you pass off that business where, how do you end up in uh Punta Gorda? Oh, so um, in between there, we owned a couple of other businesses and we, so we um, kind of were, hostily taken over by a competitor in our floor cleaning business that we had. And so they they bought us out um, for pennies, and they said, you know, you can live anywhere you want to live, but you can't live in Atlanta. And so at that time, we looked through Money Magazine, and the best place to live in the United States was San Diego, <laughs> and we couldn't convince our wives to go west. So the second best place to live in America was Punta Gorda, Florida, and we moved their site unseen. Wow. Yeah. Well, and then you start entrepreneuring it up yeah so we worked we worked for that uh, facility maintenance company for a couple of years and um this is kind of a recurring theme for me they invited me to go be successful somewhere else (laughs) and um when when that happened i um it it, it's kind of one of those stories where uh it was a thursday and we're trying to figure out what we're going to do with our lives again and i called up a a former customer and uh, he was in Tallahassee. His name was Scott, and I'm in Punta Gorda, Florida. Which, if if you try to get to Punta Gorda, to Tallahassee from Punta Gorda, it's it's a nightmare. There's just no easy way. But um, I called him up at like eight o'clock in the morning on a Thursday, and I said, Scott, I want to come and take all your stores. And he said, Come see me. And I said, When? He said, Today. Mm-hmm. And um, somehow or another, we pulled together the money to get me a plane ticket. Back then, you could fly pretty quick without luggage and not not be on a no fly list. And um, I flew up to Tallahassee, and in about you know two hours of conversation, we ended up starting another business, a, a, a floor cleaning business. We had no credit. We had no money. We had no equipment. And in 30 days, we have to start 31 Kmart stores. So it was, uh, it was pretty exciting. Wow. Yeah. Well, and then do you think that that um, 
kind of recurring motif of taking those periods where you're kind of in limbo and doing the right things with those periods has been kind of something that's made you successful? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the, a lot of people will say, you know, that they thought about things and thought about how they're going to be successful and they planned it out. And I'm sure some people are. For, for me, it has always been necessity was the mother of invention. Yeah, I, I find myself in positions, and, and almost always when you find yourself in those positions, chances are you've been pretty you know, complacent. Right. You, you haven't been aggressive. You haven't been doing the things you need to do. You get to kind a of point, rising to the occasion. Yeah. Well, you get to the point where you're building your business and you get kind of comfortable, and then you get hit and you get knocked down. And it's kind of like, okay, what do I do now? And immediately you come up with something that you're going to have to do quickly. And, and, uh, and so I, that's usually been my pattern. Sure. And where... And the the timeline is your first like inspiration to be a speaker. So is that uh, later? Or? No, no, no. That that's very early in my in my career. Um, I was a, as I mentioned earlier, I was a sales rep for a company called Slazinger Golf, and my first boss in that business was a guy named Hank Rojas. And Hank introduced me to the idea that I was going to have a lot of windshield time, and I could either listen to bubble gum for my brain, which is music, or I could kind of have a university on wheels. And back then. Uh, we didn't have podcasts. People produced motivational and educational, inspirational cassette tapes. Excuse me. And so I would um, I would buy those, and I was I can remember distinctly. My, the first one I ever listened to was Brian Tracy, who was a sales mm-hmm. trainer, mm-hmm. and then the second one I ever listened to was a guy named Earl Nightingale, and uh, Earl changed my life. Um, I was uh, in between Van Horn and El Paso on I-10, and back then it was during the gas shortages, and the speed limit was 55 miles an hour, and you're going 110 miles and no exits, no nothing. It's brutal. And uh, and Earl came on, and um, he talked about the strangest secret, and the, the strangest secret is you know that we become what we think about. And uh, it really just kind of struck me. It was one of those moments where I realized my life was never going to be the same. And I didn't know how and I didn't know what, but I knew this. I wanted to make people feel the way I felt when I heard his voice. And so it took me quite a while to ever act on that. But about 10 years later, actually about 15 years later, I um, went to my first Toastmasters meeting. Mm. And uh, when I went to that and started learning some of the skills of of doing public speaking and speaking uh, in front of groups, uh, very, very bizarre eye-opening experience and so those are the two things that kind of came together to make me you know realize that's something i wanted to do toastmasters make speakers yeah no doubt and and toastmasters is good boot camp for speakers too you know and you got to spend some time there it's not really boot camp i guess but it's a you know it's a it's a long-term training facility for publics for for people that are want to get into that speaking space they're they're very they're very good at you know, lending you that skill. Well, the, the, the organization has been around, I guess, now for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. And the thing that people often don't know about Toastmasters is that Toastmasters is a great leadership training program as well. And for me, one of the things that is just an ancillary benefit was every week for an hour and a half, I chose, but I was kind of forced into sitting in a room with people I don't agree with. And I had to listen to their point of view. And sometimes I even had to critique their point of view not on their information, but on their on their style and technique. And so it was it was really you know interesting. I I think we're all pretty opinionated. We all you know, have our own ideas, and um, because of that, we kind of gravitate to be around people that are just like us. And so to be in a room where you have to listen to the other point of view and and do it objectively uh, was was great training. Great sure. training. Sure. And how long from that do you transition into writing? 
So uh, that was about the same time. And um, so uh, I, I'm in Toastmasters, and a new guy comes to the to the club, a guy named Ben Turpin. And uh, I listened to his first speech, and I walked up to him, and I said, how long are you going to be running from your destiny? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you're supposed to be a pastor. He goes, well, there's a story about that. I'm not going to be a pastor. His dad was. And um, so anyway, we got to be friends. We uh, we were um, doing some speaking. and I uh, No, we, we hadn't done any speaking yet, but we were both in Toastmasters. And then he came down to, um, I guess it was Miami, to see me in a speech contest. I'd been the regional uh, winner. And um, so at that contest, I leaned back and I looked in my chair and looked over at him. And I said, so, hey, Ben, when are we going to start our speaking business? <laughs> and um, Ben was one of those guys that if you said something like that, you know, he actually did something about it. And so right. within about 30 days, we're doing our first program. And we're starting to listen to people who are telling you how to be a professional speaker as opposed to a public speaker, which is different. And um, some of those guys were saying, look, you know, you've got to if you got to write a book. It doesn't even matter if the book's any good. You just got to write a book. You got to have a book because that will be your new business card. And it'll give you credibility in America, essentially, but everywhere. An author is credible. And so I wrote my first book, and it's a, a, a great title. I mean, it, this is the reason why you've never heard of it. You'll never be who you want to be as long as you are who you are. It's just way too long, right? But um, but it was a good exercise, and I learned a lot from it. And uh, that was the reason that I wrote my first book. And then after that, most of the writing that we did, or I did, was with Ben. And it was in order to facilitate the marketing that we were trying to do with our speaking business with Chambers of Commerce. Sure. That works. So you're kind of using it as a tool in tandem to, to grow that business as well? Yeah, uh, that, was, that was the idea. I mean, one of the books we wrote is a book called Meet Me at Starbucks. And uh, which is a great title. That is a great title, especially it was back then. And uh, the way it was born was uh, Ben had this part in our program where he would say, so you meet somebody, you say, hey, you call him up and say, why don't you meet me for a cup of coffee at Starbucks? And after about three years, somebody came up to us and said, do you have a deal with Starbucks? And we said, well, no, duh, we should. And um, so we, we strategically wrote that book. This was the only book we ever strategically wrote. And the idea was that um, we were going to write this book. Ben knew about 60 or 70 people that worked in Starbucks, managers and district managers, all sorts of things, because he loved Starbucks. <laughs> and, um, and I didn't know anybody in Starbucks, but you know, I kind of had an idea or two. And um, so we wrote the book, and the idea was we were going to sell it to Starbucks. And I had a previous experience with Ben where we were wanting to use The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. We were wanting to use um, that title, and we wanted to say The Tipping Point for Networking. And so I reached out to Malcolm Gladwell's office, and pretty soon I was confronted with a cease and desist letter. I mean, don't even utter those words, right? It, it got kind of crazy. Goodness so gracious. I kind of knew something might like, like that might happen. So we wrote the book, and we said we're going to send it to Howard Schultz on his birthday, Federal Express. <laughs> And we did. And we gave it to everybody we could find. And our thought process was this. If you send it to Starbucks and they love it, they're going to buy it. They're going to put five in every store at that time. I think there were 16,000 stores. You know, we're not rich, but we're certainly famous. And if they don't like it, they're probably going to send us a cease and desist letter. And that's going to say, you know, don't do this anymore. And I had written the perfect press release for that. The press release was Mega Coffee House Wants to Grind the Little Guy. Oh wow! So, so I've got them trapped, right? If if they buy it, we're famous. Maybe not rich. I'm assuming if, that wasn't if, in the initial 
um, the initial content that was sent over to Starbucks wasn't. Oh no, 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 they didn't know that we were, we were doing this. And if they press if they release say, is fully prepared. <laughs> if they say don't do this, then you know we're gonna we're gonna release this press release. We'll certainly become famous because yeah, everybody so. wants to knock down a big guy like Starbucks. Yeah, yeah. And you're gonna be famous either. And way unfortunately, that something happened that we didn't plan for, and that was what I tell everybody, and that is most people do nothing. Yeah, and they did nothing, and we didn't have a plan for nothing. Oh, wow. we, had, we had a plan for him buying it. We had a plan for him not buying it, but we didn't have a plan for nothing. And that's why I'm not famous or rich right now. <laughs> well, that's pretty That's pretty exciting, though. I mean, you guys have those experiences, I think, bode well for, you know, especially those stories kind of, you know, your, your job as a, as a speaker, and that's kind of the reason that we reached out to you originally was that speaker author experience is that you can tell just by the way you give your story has so much structure. You see it in a way that's chronologically of like your job is hand-holding someone and walking them down this story in a way that they can understand. Sure. It. You know, so that's what's beautiful. So the the stories, the books, the interactions around them, all of them work together to make the end product. You know what I mean? Is you, 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 you approach your goal from a way of like we have to have these four or five facets that bode us, you know, put us in the position just for success for our goal here. Right. How do you manage all this stuff? How do you? How are you in all these different spaces? How are you professional speaking? How are you networking with the chamber? How are you kind of being the serial entrepreneur? What, how do you manage your time? Is there a structure that you have for actually deciding how much time you're going to spend doing what? Or are you just kind of doing, you know, as is commanded of you by your time? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And in, in the past, I was a lot better at it than I am now. Uh, one of the things that you know, because you are an entrepreneur and and you do your own thing, that that's a great thing. But also, it can be a bad thing because you become undisciplined. And so, for me, fortunately, most of it all fits together. Um, I, you know, you might say, well, how in the world does you know running a dry cleaning business fit together with you know being a speaker? But a lot of the stories that I come up with that make the points that I want to make in my speaking business come from that experience, come from my work experience, and so. Uh, when, when it comes to like networking, obviously the past year has been pretty challenging with COVID, but um, we still have had Zoom and we've still had other meetings. And, and you know, I've tried to tell people you've got to stay in, in, engaged and active. And a good example of that is uh, I joined our um, industry association about a year and a half ago. That it's called DLI Dry Clean Laundry Institute, and um, they were holding Zoom calls, and so I. Just got on the Zoom calls and participated. I just, you know, I just jumped in. And that led to me being invited to be on the Southeastern, Assist, uh, Southeastern uh, Fabric Care Association's uh, board of directors. So, you know, and now I have access to, to the, the top people in our industry, learning from them, being around them, and sharing ideas, and also giving back. So you've got to stay active. And as long as you've got a plan for all of it tying together, you know, uh, a good calendar app is is about the best thing you have. I mean, really, right. it is. And uh, as long as you set those reminders and and don't overload yourself, but uh, but do stay active. Sure. And I wanted to ask you this as well: is as you're networking, obviously those those very busy professionals in Atlanta are good clients for you from a dry cleaning standpoint. Sure. But it's not like you're selling merchant services or payroll or anything B two B. You're not going there necessarily hunting. You know, you're kind of laying it out. Hey, we do dry cleaning if you want to use us. How does that impact a business that 
mostly is is more of a B two C style business. Or am I am I assuming that correctly, or are you guys kind of really lining it with the the B two B aspect of networking? No, no. I mean, what ninety percent of our customers are picked up at their home. So, you know, it is a B2C operation. We do have a, a couple of very large clients that we serve in the medical field uh, at their offices, and we also have some car dealerships. But the, the thing is that when you kind of line that up, I never really approach it as, okay, I'm going to find a new customer at this event. I never approach it that way. I always approach it as, I'm going to find somebody that I can help. And maybe that means that I'm going to introduce them. Like like yesterday, one of our one of our customers at the dry cleaning business, one of the unusual ones, comes into our building, came in, picked up his clothes, and we were talking, and he found out that he is in the construction business, and specifically construction in schools. Mm-hmm. Well, I have another client who uh, does leadership training for school systems, and so. I said, you know, I really ought to introduce you to my friend Ken because, you know, he's out doing training for leadership for school systems. He's obviously going to be talking with people that are your prospective clients. Now, none of that does, you would think, anything for me. But the truth is, is it makes them loyal to my dry cleaning business Mm -hmm. because I'm trying to help them. Okay. And as long as you approach it from trying to help other people, people will naturally come back and say, you know, how can I help you? You know. People that you never expect will all of a sudden be your be your customer. Sure. Well, how do you get most of your customers B two C? Because I think you're preaching the gospel for B two B sales reps like myself and right. a lot of people that are listening to us. Honestly, are those business development representatives? I mean, if you were selling payroll or whatever business service, sure. and you go look at our list of everyone that's been on our podcast, you would see a glorious hit list. Right. You know what I mean? So. How where where do you get those B two C clients? How are you engaging these people where you're you're picking their stuff up at their home? How, what how does that work? Okay, so there's a couple of things that uh, that we kind of live by. Number one is if it's built to show, it's built to grow. And so one of our uh, one of our features is we we use a convertible garment laundry bag, and it um, so you put your dirty clothes in it, you put it on your front porch, and then when your clothes come back. They're in this garment bag, and our name's on the front of it with our phone number, which is bigger than our name. And you hang that on the door, and people are driving home, and they look over, and they see somebody's got a green bag on their door. And they look around, they got one or two in the neighborhood. It's kind of like, wait a second, what are they doing? And that's, that's one of the ways. Um, you also have to understand that you want to be in the conversation that your prospective client's already having. And so, and you need to be having, you need to be in that conversation where they're having it. So... In this industry, most people on Friday are talking about doing dry cleaning. They're, you know, they either have to pick it up or they have to drop it off or whatever the case may be. They're looking at Saturday going, I don't want to have to do one of these chores on Saturday. Certainly laundry, which is another big part of our business. So our marketing, door-to-door marketing, occurs on their doorknob on a Friday. And we follow up on Monday and Wednesday. And so there's a actual process where we've written a, a sales letter. We give them the bag to put their clothes in right then and there. And so we're taking a risk spending 2 or $3 on every door in the neighborhood. But we've already done the research to figure out this is a good neighborhood for us or we already have clients in that neighborhood. But the biggest, you know, really the, the biggest driver that we've had over the past five years anyway, 
truthfully is, you know, just connecting with people and going to networking events and being of service. Uh, you know, I'll go speak somewhere and somebody will say, hey, you know, you mentioned you do dry cleaning. I'm frustrated with my dry cleaner. Or I hate going to the dry cleaner, whatever the case may be. And, and really just connecting with people and then asking our friends to refer us. Sure. And that makes a lot of sense because it's a it's really a breath of fresh air to hear, hey, we are connecting with people, we're solving problems for people when we're in the conversation where the conversation is being had versus we spend $10,000 a month on digital ads and Facebook marketing and our website is really, really good because that's not always replicable. But right. what you're talking about, what the million-dollar meetings is talking about is replicable. Right. It's scalable. It's scalable forever. You know, and you can teach people to do it, and it's a skill that you can take with you industry to industry. That's what I think is so beautiful about it. Like, I looked at your LinkedIn, right? Mm-hmm. And on your LinkedIn is all of your experience. And right now you're 11 years into a dry cleaning connection, but a dry cleaning connection doesn't even have a LinkedIn page. You know, right. it, it isn't like I'm when I close my eyes, I don't remember the logo for your dry cleaning business. But I will never forget the interaction that we're having right now. Right. You know, the the people that are listening to this podcast are probably – we didn't even talk about the name of your business until just now. Right. You know, just because Glenn is what they'll remember. You yeah. know, and I think that is a, a skill long lost beyond some sales reps. You know, some companies, some cultures have um, not that methodology. You know what I mean? And I think that there's a combination of things that, you know, you guys – can do some digital marketing, but human connection is really where you continue to refine those skills of connecting and collaborating with people. Sure, you know, of and course. You're, yeah. And you're building those lifelong relationships that people are going to continuously support you. So tell us a little bit about what the Million Dollar Meeting's about. Okay, sure. So it's, uh, my book, Million Dollar Meetings, and uh, that book took me longer than any other book to write. It took me several years, and it really is uh, a a path, if you will, the path that I took, the path that I took other people on when I was in the chamber industry of of just becoming relevant and important in a community of any type, whether it's a community of a chamber of commerce or a networking group or even a community like a town, city, state, whatever. Um, and there's, there's steps that you can take in order to become relevant and important to people. Uh, one of the things that I mentioned in the book is that the power of volunteering and, you know, when you're side by side working on a common goal with somebody, you know, the bond that you build is just, it, you can't break it. As long as you've let, you've let your guard down and become real with these people and they know who you are, not, not what you do, but who you are and where your heart is. And so um, Million Dollar Meetings was kind of the book that I wrote for, and, and I really thought that I would kind of char- target it at Chambers of Commerce, but as it turned out, I really just wrote from my heart. Um, there's a story in the very beginning where my wife, who's not a networker, um, found a, met somebody at a lunch, and just because she's very good at talking to people and very good at understanding what people are looking for, um, she was able to land a piece of business that's now been uh, been worth almost $2 million to us over the period of time. So there's that. And then in the back of the book, one of the best things about getting involved in a chamber or anything like that is... It, and I mentioned it earlier, and that is the the R and D department that you get, the yeah. Robin Duplicate department. And so I've got stories in the back of the book of people that I've met throughout the years and what I've learned from them. And an example of that is uh, I went to a um, I was speaking at the American Chamber of Commerce Executives meeting I think in two thousand nine, might have been eight, I can't remember. But um, 
I went to the morning keynote, and I get I get no matter where I get, I get early. I mean, when you called me this morning at at, uh, at eight o'clock, we're supposed to meet at nine. I told you I'm already in Ackworth, right? Right, and so. Um, I, I get there early, and so I show up. I was up. out rolling around looking for gasoline. Yeah, I know. It's been kind of crazy finding gas, no doubt. But uh, anyway, so I am I go into the keynote uh, session. Steve Forbes is going to be the speaker. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the, right after he had ended his presidential run. And uh, I walk into the room, and they don't even have the lights up yet. And I look in there, and all the way up at the front, right by, and there's going to be a 1,000 people in this room, right up at the front, there's one person sitting at a table. And I walk up, and I walk in, and holy, it's Steve Forbes. So I sit down. Sure. And I've got a 45-minute conversation with Steve Forbes private that I, you know, that just because I showed up early and I, uh, and, and I was willing to go and, and see what, you know, what he, what might be the possibilities. And so I'll tell you the lesson I learned from Steve Forbes, which will rub a lot of people the wrong way is he said to me, he said, I never give back. I hate that term. It insinuates I got something I didn't deserve. Mm-hmm. I give, and I willingly give, but I'll never give back. And if you think about it, when you tell somebody to give back to the community, it really is kind of insinuating that, that you owe them. And if we do our if we do our work properly, if we provide a service properly, and the community rewards us for that, we don't owe the community anything more. We've already done that. But to give willingly, that's when you really start to make a difference, as I said, with the volunteering. Right. For sure. Well, it makes a lot of sense. I'm excited to see where your, your content continues to develop. Um, how can we help you? You know, uh, heck, being on your podcast is a great help. I really appreciate that. And uh, just introducing me to folks who might be able to use my services, somebody who might uh, need a speaker. Right now, I'm going to start, um, because we've kind of opened up again, I'm, I'm going to start basically from the beginning again. I'm going to be doing service clubs and B&Is and wherever I can go and share a message and meet some people, and I'll, I'll speak for free. Uh, obviously, if there's a conference, I'm thrilled to speak and, and get paid. But I think in the beginning, you got to just, you know, when you've been through something like we've been through, and you mentioned it or in the very beginning where you just didn't you didn't feel right. You know, mm-hmm. when you go without, without playing ball for a couple of years or a couple of months even, um, feel is a very important thing, not only in sports but in life. You know, if you are if you're not feeling like you're doing what you've been made to do, and you feel ingenuine. And so, uh, when we go through a period like this, and I, I went through another one uh, with Hurricane Charlie back in 2005, um, you got to go back to the beginning. You got to go back to the basics. You got to relearn everything. And and it's not relearn it. It's just re-experience the feel mm-hmm. so that you get back to feeling natural doing what you were doing. So that's what sure. I'm going to do. And if you know anybody listening is in need of a, need of a uh, speaker for uh, um, a breakfast or whatever, I'm, I'm happy to travel. Sure. sure. Came up here. I, uh, I, I was thrilled to know that I could come up as opposed to just do it online because, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I think we're all getting a little bit of Zoom fatigue. Sure. Sure. I think golf is the best, um, is the best metaphor for feel because you only get 13 clubs. You know, and you only have each of those clubs does a very specific job, yeah. very specific. So there's no 35 yard club, you know, like there's a sand wedge that you hit just the right feel, you right? Know? And you have to develop that feel, you have to get enough experience and feedback and time on the golf course and swings behind you that you develop that feel. 
and you know that, hey, I can pick this club up and I can use different clubs to hit it 35 yards depending on how high the ball needs to go. You know what I mean? So that's the feel that we're looking for not only in sales but in exactly what you're talking about is approaching every every interaction that we get as can i provide some value or solve a problem right you know that that's how we we really we really approach everything that way so where where are you guys going from here what's next for for your company on the dry cleaning side and the speaking side, I know, I know you said that you're looking for some events, some conferences, some breakfast things like that. Right. What, what specifically do those events look like? What are what are they tailored around? Well, I'm 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 in the middle of kind of launching a, a new idea that I think is um is its time has come, and that is the it's it's called Grow My Local Business. Um, you can find I've, I've created a website, haven't put any put I haven't populated it yet, but I, I do have a Facebook page as well. Haven't populated it yet either, so you're kind of getting the first blush of it. But so many folks talk about how small business is important, and you know, two-thirds of all jobs in the United States are created by small business. Depending upon the year, all jobs are created by small business. Yes. Um, small business makes a community a community. And without small business and without local small business, you know, the, the fact is that there's really no heart to the community and big business won't won't stay very long. And so, you know, there's been a lot of focus on, you know, well, we need to build our downtown. There's been a lot of focus on buy local. There's been a lot, but when you talk about those things, you leave out the the local business like like yours, for example. I mean, you don't have a retail space, you you don't have um, you know, people don't shop with you, right? And so you haven't you you don't really have a connection there. And yet people just like you go out into the community and make the community what it is. And so I, I want to really drive the idea home that local business is important, that we need to figure out a way to support local business and grow local businesses. Because if we don't, what will happen is, is you're going to start to see a lot of cookie cutter communities. And that's what we've got right now. I mean, every community, you can you can basically drop somebody in virtually any community, and they're going to see the same neighborhoods being built. They're going to see the same chain stores and restaurants coming in. They're going to see the same amenities around. And, and God love them. We need those things. But to really have a community, you know, a, a, a heart, you're going to have to have local businesses with local people who have an, an interest in the local community. And, you know, the final thing about that is, is that just – to this weekend, maybe go by and, and look at a ball field, and uh, I wrote an article about this on my on my uh, on my webpage, glengool.net. But you'll see banners all along that ball field, and you won't see one from Amazon, you won't see one from Starbucks, you won't see one from you know any of the big boys. What you'll see is is your company. You know, Bailey's going to be out there, and and probably um, you know a, a local um, real estate agent, and probably a local. Um, uh, insurance agent. All of these people that buy local doesn't touch. It, 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 God love buy local campaigns. Really, I'm I'm for them, but they don't touch the vast majority of the local businesses. And uh, remember that you know your ball your ball team for your kid or or the dance studio for for your daughter or son. You know all of these are really supported and made possible by the local businesses that may not have a brick and mortar store for you to go to. Sure. And that's exciting because we don't. I mean, we don't get a lot of that. When you think buy local, you're thinking restaurants, hardware store, you know, all, all of those things. Like I was just having a conversation with my mom, and I was like, "Why do every city we go to, you want to eat Chick Fil A?" 
you know what? Where? Why do we go to these different cities, places we've never been before, and you're looking for a Chick Fil A and a yeah. Dollar General? Right. I was like, there's there's so many places out there that you've never been to. Right. Like we went to to Roswell and I have a restaurant client out there, and she was like, let's go to uh, let's go to Rafferty's right there off of uh, where Town Center is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why why don't you go? Somewhere we've never been. Like, I have a client, someone that does business with me that's brand new, that is the s- similar food that is head and shoulders better beyond what you're getting at Rafferty's. You know, and so that, that is interesting to me. I'm yeah. interested to see where that content develops and how we can be be a part of that as well. So uh, I'm excited. If people want to hire you for their event, talk dry cleaning with you, inquire about your services, or just learn from you yourself, how do people find you? Sure. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a phone guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll give you my phone number. It's 404-216-8881. I'll answer. I answer every call. I, I mean, I don't... Uh, I know a lot of people say if they don't know the number, they don't answer it. I, I answer every call. If I don't answer it, it's because I'm on another call. I have a joke about that. That's people that say that have debt. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. I've been that guy. <laughs> so, Me too. More than once. Me too. <laughs> so, like if you know you got one late payment out there and that unknown number oh, hits your phone, you're like, not that one. Yeah, no, but if no, you don't no. owe anybody money, you're like, yeah. yeah. Wait a second, isn't that company in St. Louis? Yeah, I yeah, don't think I, so. Right? I've been in both of those. Shoes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah been me in both. too. Hey, somebody from Kansas is calling me. I'm going to answer it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'll tell you. Just there was a business I, that we had at one point, and, and we were going through a pretty rough patch, and people would call the building, and um, you know, I don't want to make anybody a liar. So I, when when somebody would answer the phone. And uh, they'd say they put them on hold. Hey, Glenn, you know, got so and so on the phone. I'd say, hold on a second. I walk out the door and I'd say, tell them I just left, because <laughs> I don't want them to be liars, right? But you know, they are liars because they. I mean, it, uh, I felt bad about it, but you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, you do. And then, of you course, do. my my uh, my website is glengould.net. G L E N G O U L D dot net. Cool. Well, I'm excited, man. I'm excited yeah, to see. Thanks where you so guys much for go. having me. Here, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I think we can do some. Uh, we can definitely help. You know, we have a face to face event coming up. Love to have you there just to talk to some people and be thrilled to. You know, have the opportunity to speak if you want. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be time well served, and, and people have something to learn from. Now, how you, so. far an area do you guys cover? I mean, you go anywhere in the United States, definitely. Yeah. Um, we can actually do some stuff outside the United States. That's that's pretty cool as well. But it's not common for us. Like we yeah. have some friends in South Africa and Ireland and stuff like that. I mean, that, your that. business is just. I mean, it is so. So challenging. I mean, all businesses is are, but you know, yours in particular, merchant services. You know, people will drop their merchant service provider for a quarter of a tenth of a percent. I mean, and not even realize that they're getting charged I'll more you, on the other will, end. They, it's they crazy. absolutely will, but not us. Yeah, not, I mean, when you find a good really. one, you won't. Well, it's not even the service. Like it's it's really not even the services. Do I answer your phone call? Right. Like when you call me for whatever reason, do I answer? And the answer sure. is yes. And the other aspect of it is, do you know my name? And for the most part, people don't leave. Like, if you think about whatever you're using for your business, or this takes something blanket like Square. Sure. Okay. Say you're using Square for every location of every business of whatever type that you have. You don't know anything other than Square. Right. You know, you just know Square. But when you talk Bailey, and Bailey's like, yeah, I can save you some money. And if you have anything else or your business grows or changes, you're taking payments in a different way, just talk to me. I'll help yeah. you with that. That is our retention. 
Yeah. Our attention is in our relationship. Yeah. Because we don't we don't do business with a ton of people we don't have. We don't get, hey, can you do my credit card processing calls? Like we don't do digital marketing. We don't get deals from Facebook. Like we don't post equipment on Facebook Marketplace and our phone just ring off the hook. Yeah. Like it's not that. It's hey, you know, I just met Tristan and Tristan is a marketing company that's very specific to HVAC. And you are the owner of an HVAC company, so I create those dots for you. And right. then you, HVAC company, whenever that marketing starts to work and you see how much you're paying on your credit card bill, usually you keep you 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 want to have that conversation. And I'm someone that I think of another well, probably aspect. Probably because you're staying in front of them too. I mean, exactly. That was connected. another thing yeah. is we're staying in front of them. Is that we never go anywhere once. Like if we go once, we're going to go back yeah. you know, a handful of times until you really learn who we are. And we're very active on LinkedIn, not mm-hmm. even necessarily all social media, but LinkedIn, we're good. Yeah. We're really good on LinkedIn, and we're, we're very um, active. We share all of our podcast stuff on LinkedIn. It's just the, like, the best thing about our, our virtual networking group that has ever been was like, and it was as small as 25, as big as 80 business owners. And the best thing that we ever did was not charge money for it. Right. Because it's competitive. Like, I like credit card processing because it's truly free market competitive. Mm-hmm. Like, there is nothing, there is no uh, advantage that you have over me in this game. It's like, it's all about rate, equipment, and service. Right. You know? And no matter how many billions of dollars you have, or no matter if you are by yourself knocking on doors, loading credit card machines, servicing everybody by yourself, day one of entrepreneurship. Right. We all play on the same even playing field. So how you win is only by relationships. You can learn credit card processing and pitching and sales and everything, but at the end of the day, if I have a relationship with the right person, it could, if I have a, a relationship with somebody that owns this chain of restaurants or somebody that does millions and millions and millions of dollars, like I could be paid forever because I'm probably not going to lose that client. Right. You know, we're our, the average uh, retention on merchant services over two years is about 60%. We're well above 95%. That's outstanding. Well, because our people hear from us five times a year, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it's just a lot. We, we do a lot. We spend a ton of time protecting and insulating our network and environment that we already have because it's good. Yeah, that's it's what you've got to do too. I mean, because especially with a residual income job, a business like yours, you know, you've got to protect what you, it's so much more expensive to go get somebody than it is to keep somebody you've already got yeah, exponentially yeah. more exponentially more but um i appreciate you i appreciate you coming well, out i thanks. appreciate, I your appreciate time. you having me yeah you're uh, a lot of fun your knowledge your network your community and the the kind of the initiatives that you guys are moving forward on are exciting to me exciting to our listeners exciting to our network so i'm excited to see where they go well i look forward to meeting some of your friends sure absolutely right, i can do that all right thanks bailey all appreciate right. it thanks thank you